Hello everybody, my name is Tyler Slager and welcome to the second episode of On the Blood Trail. Right now I am just like most of you guys, uh, stuck inside, bored, not really a whole lot to do, can't go out, everything's closed, you gotta stay away from everybody, so trying time for a lot of people there's not a whole lot of options to keep yourself occupied and and it's making a guy go a little bit stir crazy so what i've been trying to do to keep myself occupied and a little less bored is just kind of going through all my hunting gear getting it ready for upcoming bear season and even for the fall because well we got nothing else to do uh, so going through making sure all my rifles are cleaned making sure all my Parts and accessories are with my bow so that I'm not scrambling looking for it when I actually need it. And just hoping that we get a break in the weather here and that spring finally arrives so that you can get out and do a little more dialing in with uh, the bow and making sure all your rifles are still sighted in and just getting ready for that next hunting season. But uh, let me know what you guys are doing to make the most of this isolation that we're all going through and how you're passing the time. And, you can uh, let me know on Instagram or Twitter at On The Blood Trail or look up On The Blood Trail on Facebook. i got a page there as well. Uh, so for today's podcast, uh, I want to kind of dive into a topic that has only really been recognized uh, in the last couple of years as being a problem. And that's the decline in hunters and hunting and the adverse effects that that's having on our conservation today. And to give you a little bit of a history lesson, Western expansion in the late 1800s actually pushed many game animals to the brink of extinction, to the point where they realized that they had gone too far and they needed to start doing something to turn this thing around. So what we've seen was in 1864, the first deer license was sold in the state of New York in efforts to generate a little bit of state revenue um, and actually start to do some uh, proactive uh, preservation in, in the conservation of these animals that they were losing. And something that I didn't know was that in 1937, the U.S. Congress passed legislation known as the Pittman-Robertson Act that actually linked finances for conservation to hunting and fishing activities. And I'm sure at the time, a lot of people were thinking that some of these measures and implementing tag systems and uh, paying for all this stuff and new taxes and acts and funds were probably not necessary. But you look at different things like the North American buffalo hunt. And in the late 1800s, the population of buffalo is at its peak in the millions. And... By the late 1900s, there was as few as less than 100. So they were doing some serious damage that it was becoming to the point where it was irreversible. And they decided it was time for action. We needed to do something. And these different conservation efforts actually showed quite a bit of progress in preserving and saving some of these species. For instance, whitetails in the 1900s, they had estimated there was as few as 500,000 of them. Today, 32 million. That's got a lot to do with the conservation that they've implemented since. Uh, turkeys in 1900, 100,000 of them. Today, 7 million. Rocky Mountain elk, 1907, they thought there was about 41,000. 
Today, over a million. In the 1900s, black bears were near extinct. By 2011, an estimated 950,000 animals. Pronghorn antelope, 50 years ago, only about 12,000 of them. Today, 1.1 million. Uh, even over in other countries, like in Africa, they had, in the 1900s, Cape buffalo herds were decimated, and, and they didn't think that they were ever going to return. Today, there's over a million. So these different conservation practices have actually helped these herds thrive. And it's not just paying money into the system and regulating how many people are in there hunting. And killing these animals is actually a huge part to play in keeping and maintaining a healthy herd. And sometimes people don't realize that. And they still tell you that you're just out there and you're just killing these animals. But there's a difference between conservation and killing. And the buffalo hunt in North America is a prime example of that. Because all they were doing was killing buffalo over and over and over in mass numbers to the point where it was almost extinct. Going out there with a plan and actually making an effort to conserve these animals is super beneficial for the herd. You're going out there, you're only taking out so many animals, so you're going to be a little bit more picky about your process. Uh, you're going to try and maybe take out an animal that's a little bit bigger to the herd. And we talked about it in the last podcast, taking out some of these bigger trophy class animals actually benefits the younger animals in the group because now there's less competition. And so that helps your numbers go up. And it also keeps from unnecessary killing and uh, wasting of these animals because now people aren't going out there and shooting two or three of the same animal thinking, well, my freezer's going to be filled for extra long or oh, I don't have to worry about going looking for that one because I know I got that one dead over there. And with the conservation added into it, you got that one license or one tag and you go out there, you shoot that one animal and you do everything within your ability to make sure that you find and harvest that animal. So a lot of my numbers are coming from a couple different sources in this podcast, uh, being uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife uh, and Fish and Wildlife Associations, uh, some from the U.S. Census, uh, and some other varied polls, and fairly recent articles uh, with data that should be from uh, about as recent as I think is available. And what we're seeing today is a serious decline in the yearly number of hunters. Uh, in the USA in 1982, they had 17 million hunters. And by 2016, they were down to 11.5. That's 5.5 million less hunters every year. And it's an interesting number because in 1982 to 2016... There's a population increase in the United States of just over 90 million people. So to see 90 million extra people, but still 5.5 million less hunters every year, kind of shows a trending line, and I think maybe it took that time frame for us to realize how that's actually being applied to what we are seeing today. And out of that 5.5 million people, 2.2 million of that decrease was from 2011 to 2016. That's 40% of that decrease in hunters happened in five of those 34 years. 
So that's showing you that the major drop-off point is in more recent years, and it's becoming more of a problem now than it was back then because our population keeps skyrocketing, but our interest in hunting is going down. Uh, to, so to get into the more of the, the demographic breakdown of uh, the age groups that we're seeing hunting nowadays, uh, in 1981, they had figured in ages 25 to 44 was about 52% of our hunters. Uh, 16 to 24 and the 45 plus was making up your other half. Now, in 2011, the same group of 25 to 54 year olds is now only making up a third of our hunters. So that's down over 20%. Your 45 and up group is now making up 55% of today's hunters, which is 28% up from the one quarter that it accounted for uh, 20 years prior. And today you're only seeing about just over 10% of our hunters is that youth category of 16 to 24. So you're seeing that almost 90% of the hunting population now is ages 25 and up. And that's terrible because now you're getting less youth involved in hunting and you're letting this tradition that we have slowly die off and there's nobody else to, to take after you and, and take after this conservation practice. And what we're going to see is you're actually going to have maybe too many animals and that's terrible for an ecosystem because now all of a sudden there's way too much competition. Your animals aren't getting the food sources that they need. And then after all this food's gone, you have this huge population of animals. They're all going to slowly or almost immediately sometimes just drop right off because they don't have the resources to sustain that amount of animals in that area. Now... This 11.5 million hunters that we're seeing in the United States, that only accounts for, at that time, less than 4% of the entire U.S. population. And I know from my own experience, you get out in the bush, you see all these people running around, and you think, man, there's too many hunters, or there's more hunters this year than there was last year, and man, somebody keeps leaking out all these good spots, and it's really not a bad thing and you are seeing it drop off in different portions of the season i know that we see that here in alberta uh, more guys will be getting out for archery season they might get discouraged they don't come back for rifle season or it could be vice versa but having more hunters in your area, it's not always a bad thing. Because I know that sometimes you'll get these guys that are maybe on the fence about this area, and then all of a sudden you get too much hunting pressure, and they decide, well, you know, I'm going to go find somewhere else to hunt where there's less guys. And they're actually going to get into different herds of animals, and they're going to help manage those herds as well. And it's a good conservation practice, and you can see these animals are being properly managed from area to area, and it's better from a conservation standpoint but also from a money standpoint having those 17 million hunters in 1982 that they had estimated that they had sold about uh, just over 28 million tags and so following that curve 
That means in 2016, they actually sold 32% less tags. So from that 28 million, they went to about 19 million, which is a huge loss in uh, wildlife revenue. And not even to account for inflation, because that money would have went a lot further back then than it does today. So seeing that huge decrease in money from 40 years ago to now is actually more substantial than a person realizes. Now, tags aren't the only way that they come up with funding uh, for conservation. Uh, they actually estimate that the tags only account for about 35% of the revenue, uh, with the other 59% going to uh, different hunting and fishing activities. Uh, and then the rest is just like taxes, grants, funds, uh, including that Pittman-Robertson fund that I had already mentioned. It's actually an 11% tax that goes on all, most sporting goods uh, that include uh, like rifles, ammunition, uh, bows, arrows, uh, things like that. And uh, that money is collected, from what I understand, federally. And when the U.S., government gives that to different states uh, the revenue that the state has produced from hunting and fishing activities is uh, used in a portion to match up to a certain amount and then the u.s gives them their portion of this uh, this pittman robertson fund now seeing the drop-off in hunting numbers like we are today means that from state to state you're actually seeing lower amounts of tag sales which means less funds and so they might not be able to match up to this amount that they need for um, getting this funding from the US government and what you'll see is the result of that is that you'll get say I just noticed that uh, non-resident tags in Idaho for elk just jumped I think it was over 50% uh, from what it was last year and that's probably because the state of Idaho isn't getting the same amount of funding because they're losing hunters and generating less revenue for state conservation than what they're needing. It might not seem like the amount of tags being sold from state to state has really been dropping off that much, but from 1960 to 2016, only four states increased the amount of tags that they were selling. Four states stayed par, and the rest of the United States actually dropped in the amount of tags and licenses that they were selling every year. And the National Wildlife Federation says that the current amount of funds being appropriated towards conservation practices is less than 5% of what they consider is needed to do the job properly, uh, which might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but in certain areas, I'm sure that that's a very accurate number. Now, I'll be the first to admit that I don't think that money is uh, what's going to make conservation better. I, I think that a mix between the funds that they're generating from these licenses and uh, just from overall stimulating the local economies of these different hunting areas from guys coming in and buying gas and food and accommodations while they're there, I think that all plays a part into it, uh, along with proper management of wildlife. Um, but I know even for myself in Alberta here, every year I go out and I buy pretty well every tag that's available to me, uh, which 
in Alberta, compared to a lot of the United States, it's not very expensive to get licenses. I'd say our average license price um, is probably 40 bucks. So I go out, I buy my moose tag, my elk tag. I get every deer tag that's available to me. Sometimes I'll go out and even get uh, a mule deer tag, even though most of our areas are closed to draw. So that's usually a wash anyways. Uh, but then you get your bear tags and... It, for me, it adds up to be, I don't know, a few hundred dollars every year, and I might only shoot two or three animals. But I don't mind, because I know that the money that I put into the tag system is going, hopefully, back into the conservation system for the province of Alberta, and that should, in theory, according to what they tell us, make the hunting season for the next year uh, better in different areas or different aspects of it will be improved. Another problem that we're seeing is the overall decrease in the interest of hunting, not even just from a hunter standpoint, but from the general public. And so seeing less funds for conservation being produced federally and state by state, uh, U.S. Congress has tried to pass more legislation to try and um, attempt to come up with more creative ways to get funding but many of them are failing because nobody cares about hunting like they used to and people are more inclined to just go to the grocery store to get their meat and that's also a very interesting fact because according to a couple of different polls in the state of Wisconsin 90 percent of the population said that they thought that the state should do whatever they should or could uh, even outside of budgetary restraints to protect wildlife at all costs. And and even a poll throughout the entire United States said that about 74% of people polled uh, thought the exact same thing. So we can be aware of the fact that hunters and hunting is on a downhill slope. But a good question to ask ourselves is, why are there less hunters? How come we're not seeing as many people get interested in the sport and the tradition like there used to be? I know for myself, growing up, hunting was a huge thing in our household. Uh, now I look at some of uh, my family members that are um, a lot younger than me, and it's maybe not pushed the same way. Uh, not even pushed. Pushed isn't the right word to use to describe it. Um, but the lack of interest within the household is a lot higher than what it used to be uh, 10, 12, 15, 20 years ago. And there's probably a few different things that you could attribute that to. And I'm sure the first thing that everybody wants to go to nowadays is uh, video games. And I will be the first to admit I grew up playing video games. It does take away time from different activities that you could be doing. Uh, even, even if you're not hunting, you can go outside, you can go camping, go fishing, go for a hike. Um, just go spend time outside. And things like video games are taking away from that. I think something that you're seeing even more so with this current generation is uh, social media. I think that social media is even more damaging to... The interest of kids getting into hunting or people that wouldn't ordinarily be interested in the, the sport or tradition, even more so than uh, the people playing video games. 
look at social media. Everything's portrayed as um, you're not hunting. You're out there killing and murdering animals. Who wants to sit outside and get pestered by bugs all day or all night? Or who wants to go out there and be bored out of their mind because they can't look at their phones or there's no cell phone service or we can't stay connected with our friends the same way that we're used to now. And I think that that's actually got a huge part to play in why people don't want to do this anymore. And it's really unfortunate to see because hunting is such a a clean and wholesome activity and it teaches you so much about how to take care of yourself and your family. And I I tell you right now that that Facebook and Instagram and, and TikTok and all the whatever else is going on nowadays, that doesn't teach you anything. Ultimately, we're just, we're losing our tradition. Yet, on the flip side, outdoor recreation and animal and bird watching has steadily been on the rise. So, people are appreciating going out and seeing these animals and and doing these activities outside around the animals and enjoying the environment, but they don't want to play their part in actively practicing the conservation to keep it and maintain it in that level. And I think that the thing we're missing out on is being able to teach these people that they need to do that in order to continue to enjoy what they're enjoying today. Because things like social media are giving these people all these uninformed opinions on hunting and fishing and it gives them these ideas that that's stuff that's that's outdated and and people don't do that anymore and that animals can just survive the same way that people can they adapt and overcome or whatever it is but that's not the way that it works wildlife is a resource and we have to manage that resource accordingly or else we're going to be faced with the same situation where there isn't any to manage Now, in Alberta here, they're trying to avoid these trends where the senior populations of hunters are are not hunting anymore because it's, maybe for some of them it's a little bit too difficult to go out and do it still. Um, For some of them, I think they just lose the interest and they'd rather just go to the store to get their their food and their meat. And uh, so what they're trying to do in Alberta here is implement more senior hunting programs, implement more youth hunting programs, uh, whether that be uh, Alberta just recently introduced new prices on uh, black bear licenses for youth and for seniors uh, to try and keep them more actively involved in uh, conserving uh, those populations. Uh, And I believe Alberta also brought in uh, the ability for kids at a younger age to be able to go out and hunt uh, uh, game bird animals. That kind of gives kids more of maybe the hunting bug, so to speak, and get them more actively involved and interested in uh, hunting a couple years before they actually get to go out there and do some hunting for big game. And so you're seeing these programs implemented across the country, uh, from state to state, province to province, whichever it is, And you're seeing some positives of getting more youth involved. Uh, Some people that wouldn't normally go out to experience hunting or try it, uh, they're getting more involved. And actually, in recent years, they've seen a a big spike in the female hunting population. 
where females may historically have not done so much of the hunting. I believe there was a statistic saying that the uh, hunting population was actually 70% male. So to see uh, female hunting on the rise is also a huge plus for efforts in getting more people involved into that community. As for my own personal opinion on conservation practices here in Alberta, I've been fortunate enough to hunt in a couple of different provinces here in Canada and experience the different ways that those provinces or territories manage their wildlife. And I think in Alberta there's, uh, there's definitely some pros. Uh, I think there's a lot of things that could be done better such as uh, we need to stop overprotecting single species. Uh, in Alberta, we've spent all this time and all these years on uh, conserving grizzly bears, and by rights, it shouldn't have been shut down when it was. Uh, the amount of tags given out, it, even nowadays, they should just hand out a handful of tags. They do it with mountain goats in Alberta. They do it with different areas for sheep, uh, even turkeys, and antelope has gotten to that point too. And, like, antelope, they spent so much time focusing on different animals like grizzly bears. All these, these resources and funds are being pushed towards managing and monitoring what's going on with the grizzly bear population. But then you get animals like the pronghorn antelope, where when I started hunting 10, 12 years ago, you could get a trophy antelope license uh, through a draw, maybe every six years. It was, it was pretty reasonable. And now I'm looking at probably not being able to get a tag for a trophy antelope by the time it's, uh, in some areas, up to 15 years. I can't even get a tag for a non-trophy antelope without waiting for 10 years. And that's stuff that you shouldn't have to see. If it was being monitored close enough, they would have noticed a problem and they would have dialed back the tags or shut down hunting for that species for the year and let them have a chance to rebound. Instead what you see is we get a bad winter kill and then you let out too many tags, they kill way too many animals and then they spend years trying to recover and then they realize hey we have a little bit of an issue now maybe it's time to try and take care of this and it, it's a vicious circle. It was similar to, uh, my dad told me a story about when I was a little boy, uh, there was a forest fire in Alberta. And in this area, a lot of people got drawn for moose the following year. And the moose didn't have anywhere to hide. All of their, all the trees were burnt. So pretty much everybody that got a draw went out there and shot their moose because the moose didn't have anywhere to hide. Its home was burnt down. And... They never adjusted the tags. The same thing happened five or ten years ago. We had a terrible winter kill in northern Alberta. Killed, I think it was about 80% of our deer herd. Uh, most of the mule deer were gone. Uh, at the time, you still needed a draw to get a tag for a mule deer buck. Uh, but with archery, it was open season. You could go in and you could try and get your muley with a bow. And now you can't even do that. They waited... All this time after the winter kill where they left things the same and then it got to the point where they're realizing hey we don't have as many mule deer anymore 
Our buck populations aren't that great. The trophy quality has gone down tremendously. And now we're going to make it so that it's a draw even with a bow. So things like this that could have been totally avoidable were not noticed. Nobody jumped at the opportunity to say, hey, we need to protect these animals now. And now we're suffering for it today where people that would maybe normally want to go out and, and hunt these animals or needed to hunt these animals can't because the tags are no longer accessible. You're waiting four or five years to get drawn for a rifle tag. And now because you got a draw for archery and rifle, you got more people applying for this draw. And it's going to take you uh, from anywhere from eight years to ten years to get this tag. That in itself also drops an interest in hunting because there's so many people that are going out and like in Alberta, you can't get a tag for a moose uh, without a draw. There's a couple select areas where you can go out and you can do it with archery, but it's in a couple of years from now, it's going to be zero. So to get a draw for a moose, I'd say the average time in Alberta is five years to get a draw. Now you start hunting at age 12 or age 14, you're only going to get drawn a few times in your lifetime. And for most people, that's not even worthwhile. They're thinking, oh, I'm going to go out and shoot a moose and feed my family for the year. But now they're thinking, well, what's the point? i got to wait five years. I'm just going to go and get my meat somewhere else. Buy it at the grocery store. Buy it from a farmer. However else they go about doing it. And it drops the overall interest in hunting. So if you get these people that are older that are, say, in that 25 to 45-year-old range, and they're no longer interested in hunting because of these long wait times for draws, then they're not taking their kids out as much, and they're not getting that exposure that they need to be interested. And all around it, it just doesn't help. And less hunters isn't very good for your wildlife management either. Because according to their, their current conservation numbers, they need a certain amount of hunters out there to implement a certain amount of management on these wildlife animals. And so it's a very delicate system that needs a proper balance. And if we're not having that proper balance, then you're going to see problems with our animal herds, as well as the funding for this conservation to protect them. And as a kid growing up, going out hunting with my dad, man, we could go out hunting for a weekend or three days, and it would be nothing to see 200 deer or animals in a weekend. And now you go back to some of those same areas, and you're going to be lucky if you see 10 or 12 animals in those same areas in the same amount of time. Uh, even even the mule deer, before the, uh, before the winter kill, it was nothing to go out and see a couple hundred mule deer in a weekend. Like, it was incredible. There would be groups of five or six bucks on one side of the field, another group of five or six bucks on the other corner of the field, a bunch of does doing whatever in the middle of the field, and now you drive by a field and you got to sit there and you glass every square inch of it because you can't even tell if there's one deer in the field. And if it was properly managed, we wouldn't have this problem. And thinking about it as a kid growing up, and my dad would tell me, yeah, well, it was nothing for us to see this amount of animals here, this many bears, or it was you'd see moose everywhere. And you're thinking, wow, that's, that's crazy. I, I wish I lived in a time like that. And now I get to tell my kids when I grow up the exact same thing. 
because it still hasn't been managed to the point where they're keeping our animals' numbers where they really should be. And even going back to the grizzly bear thing, every year that we go out hunting, uh, be it for bears or deer or moose, we see grizzly bears. We're not even looking for grizzly bears and we're stumbling upon them on a regular basis. Now, I would say if it was any other animal, I'd probably buy a tag for that animal. But because it's a grizzly bear, and they think that these animals are on the brink of extinction or endangered or whatever in the world they think is going on with that population, they just let it be, and they think that these animals need to stay protected. But it's actually to the point where it's becoming dangerous. You're seeing more people shoot these animals in quote-unquote self-defense. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. And those numbers keep going up because the population keeps going up. And if you would implement a draw system, whether it's even a lottery draw, say a person only got one in their lifetime or one every 10 years or 15 years, different places like the Yukon Territory, you're allowed one grizzly bear every three years. It gives you the opportunity to go out and hunt for them. And it also keeps you from doing it year after year. It's a pretty decent balance. Even in the Northwest Territories, I believe you're allowed one in your lifetime, but you have to be living in the Northwest Territories for, I think it's like 25 years. It's you're still given the opportunity. People are out there hunting these animals every year, and you're still going to have that percentage of those people that aren't going to be successful. But it's proper management of your herds. And if they stop fixating on one animal in specific, then you could spend and allocate more time on all of the animals in the province, and it would better manage what's needed from a species to species basis and then again that is just my opinion on it but as somebody that goes out and sees it from year to year uh, there's certain things that I think do need to be changed because we're going to be seeing problems that are irreversible and uh, there's there's just there's so many animals that these these problems could be avoided uh, even uh, Alberta has a population of turkeys. And I believe when I started putting in for the draw, I think it was a 8 or a 10 year wait to get uh, a successful application. And uh, now by the time I get drawn, it's probably going to be 15 years. Maybe that's because of a rise in the population of hunters. But the fact that we have a decrease overall in our hunting population tells me that it's more on the conservation side of things. So what we could do as hunters to try and generate more interest in hunting as a tradition or as a sport is when you shoot something and you post a picture of it and there's people that don't necessarily like it, instead of just telling them off and saying, yeah, well, you don't know anything about this or, or whatever it is, just... Give them a little bit of information, a little bit of insight, so that you can maybe change their mind on the approach towards it. And that way we have fewer people that are just dead set against hunting.
Because just like this virus that's going around, you get somebody that you absolutely turn off of the idea of hunting, they're going to tell one person, that person might tell a couple people, and the next thing you know, they've built this giant network of people that are like, wow, I can't believe that these people go out and, and, and kill animals and, and hunt them. And if you were to go out and inform people that just have this idea based on uh, what they're seeing on social media or what's being portrayed by the news, and you can teach them a little bit more about the tradition and the conservation aspect of hunting, then maybe you can build a network in a different way and you see a more positive uh, outcome. Because the more people that are interested in hunting, the more funds that you're going to see for conservation and different practices and events and programs that are trying to gain traction for people to build hunting in the hunting community. And you'll get different things like helicopter surveys for animals, uh, feeding programs for animals in a rough winter. Um, it even, you'll see like ma and pa hunting stores that'll be thriving because there's a consumer base for it. And not to knock Cabela's or Bass Pro, but they're putting these little places out of business because they're buying things in mass quantities for a smaller price than what some of these smaller local shops can. And when there's a decrease in hunters, then the people that are getting interested in hunting are only going to know these stores like Cabela's and Bass Pro, and they're going to go after those stores and they're not supporting the local community as much. And so it all goes full circle. And with a little bit more teaching and even understanding, because some of these people that are uh, very anti-hunter need to be a little bit more open-minded and a little more understanding. And it better teaches the community as a whole as to why hunting is a very proper form of conservation and why it's very crucial to a healthy animal herd. And with that, I think we're going to wrap up this episode of On the Blood Trail. If you liked what you heard, let me know. On the Blood Trail can be found on Instagram and Twitter at On the Blood Trail. Uh, or once again on Facebook if you look for our page. Uh, on the Blood Trail is on there as well. Really appreciate you taking the time to listen. And we'll see you on the next episode.